Welcome to Calvary Bible Online. We're glad that you joined us today. We're going to worship together and sing and listen to God's Word. And um, our views to Calvary Online have been really large over the last two weeks. And if you're here for the first time, thanks for joining us. Our mission today is to worship God, listen to His Word, sing praises to Him. And uh, I want you to know we're really filled with hope during this time. I know that may sound surprising, but we're um, not meeting together decentralized church for the next couple weeks, but we really are hopeful that God's going to do some awesome things during this season of our life together. Everything has changed. A friend of mine said, this is like a massive disruption. And I've been thinking, I wonder if it's a divine disruption. I'm really hopeful that God's going to do things during this season that only could happen because of it. We're looking for that and really hopeful that God's going to do things that we couldn't do by meeting together. And one of the things we want to do, Paul told the Ephesian church to redeem the days. We want to redeem the disruption. And by redeeming the disruption, we want to be filled with an ethic of love for the community of Calvary and outside the community of our membership into our neighborhood. And I love hearing the stories that have happened over the last couple of weeks of people reaching out through their life group to meet the needs of others, Zoom chats that are linking the church together. And I wanna encourage you to keep loving your neighbor who's walking by your house every day. The other thing that we're filled with, uh, not only hope and love, but we're filled with faith. And we believe that God is gonna do something awesome. And we're gonna trust him in the midst of this. We wanna make sure that you know if you need help, you can contact us in three ways. You can call us at the church office, uh, you can send us an email at help at calvary.com, or you can just go on our website. Our website is filled with a number of links that'll help you get prayer, help you get help, connect with someone over coffee, and just let us know how you're doing. We'd love to hear from you. It helps us to know how you're doing. If you have a prayer request, please send it in to us. Another important thing you can do online is a way to redeem the disruption by being generous in your giving. I wanna thank you that over the last couple of weeks, your giving has been phenomenal. We're so blessed by the way you've been giving. Uh, two days from now, our annual fiscal year comes to an end, March 31st. And I just wanna encourage you, if you're a member or friend at Calvary and you haven't set up an online giving, opportunity that you might do that either through our website or your bank. That's probably going to be one of the ongoing changes that happens as a result of this episode in our country is most of our things are going to be done online. And so if you can set that up, that'd be great. You'll notice on the drop down box of our giving page that there's one account called the benevolence account. This is the organized accountable means by which Calvary dispenses financial help and resources to those who have financial needs, medical needs, food shortages. And over the years, we've done that because of your generous giving. We know that's going to be necessary in the weeks ahead. So if you're able, by not going out to dinner or not going to the movie or to sporting events and you have some extra, if you give that to the benevolence, our elders are going to disseminate that to those in need, not only in our church, but in our community as we've already been doing. We've reconnected with social service entities and others in the service sector who need help right now. And so I wanna just encourage you, in faith, if you'd give generously to the benevolence, that will help us meet the needs that are here now. 
Now we're going to turn to worship. We're going to study the Word of God together in Acts chapter 8. And you're going to be challenged as you listen to Thomas unfold Acts chapter 8 and how God works in the midst of difficulty to create the platform to preach the good news of Christ. Thanks for joining us for worship. Let's join together now and worship our great God. Good morning, Calvary. I am so excited for the opportunity to be online with you this morning. I know our hearts are grieving not being on site together and being with each other um, on a Sunday morning, but I'm excited to be with you on your tablet, on your phone, on your computer or television, wherever you're watching this. Um, I'm excited to continue in our series in the book of Acts. God knew that we would need Acts for this season. And my prayer is that through the message today, you would feel encouraged, that you would feel equipped for the days ahead. The last few days here in Colorado have been a little wild um, for many of us. And as we look forward to tomorrow with many young families returning to online school, I'm just praying that God is encouraging your hearts right now, that you are not discouraged, and that we together are in this um, with one another. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, continuing this story, this incredible story of the beginning of the church. If you're just joining us and you're checking out Calvary and you're wondering what we've been doing, we've been going through the book of Acts, which is a historical account of how the church began. We've been asking this question, in today's world, the church is the largest most racially, ethnically, socioeconomically diverse group of people in existence on the planet. Where did that come from? How did we get here? And the book of, a book of Acts is, is the one that's telling us where it all began. And we're in chapter 8 this morning. And in chapter 8, we're seeing the result of some suffering that we looked at last week, that the first martyr by a man named Stephen was, was put to death. And the oppression of the church begins here. And what we're going to find is that the church doesn't respond as many of us would imagine those to respond with, with or who are facing suffering or hardships, but in a very different way. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have your tablets, let's fire them up and look at Acts chapter 8 together. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. There are several threads here that Stephen or that Luke is using to talk about the outcome of Stephen's martyrdom. We're going to follow one thread today. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of his, at Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who, laid, or who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Look down at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them 
that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. All right, with that episode in your mind, let us pray that God in his grace and in his spirit would now be our teacher to help us see what he wants us to see and hear what he wants us to hear this morning. Let's pray. Lord, in days like today, all of our attention is on you. Lord, we long to be encouraged and equipped by you. And so would you in your kindness use these words here written in Acts to be our encouragement, to equip us for the days ahead. With the result of Stephen's suffering and martyrdom, the church's oppression, give us hope, Lord, for the days ahead. Father, we ask that your spirit would open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear these truths. Lord, we pray that we would, we would see how this story of the, how the church began uh, meets us today in our contemporary situation. And so, Lord, we commit our time to you. We commit our families that we're huddled up with to you. As a church, Lord, in our homes, we now turn to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So here in Acts chapter 8, what ends up happening is the result of suffering that's happened to Stephen. And if you remember in the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gave a commissioning to the disciples. And he gave them this commission to stay in Jerusalem until they had received the Holy Spirit. And we saw the apostles receive the Holy Spirit, the church in Jerusalem received the Holy Spirit. And he said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you this mission. And the mission is this, that you would take what you know, what you have seen, what you have heard, what you have been taught as witnesses to the gospel of how God has brought salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And you would be a witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And here we've seen the disciples following God's command to be witnesses in Jerusalem. And it's at this moment, by the cause of suffering, that's going to push the disciples, the followers of Christ, out of Jerusalem for the very first time. And they're going to push them to accomplish what God had set before them. To leave Jerusalem with the message, the gospel. To be witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but now go to Judea. And go to Samaria. And then we're going to see in the book of Acts how it's always taken to the end of the earth. But here, because of suffering, when suffering has come into the church... The witness of the church is going to be pressed out of Jerusalem into its neighboring cities and then into its regions and then beyond. So if you got your Bibles, go back to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So now they're going to go and fulfill what Jesus has given them to be, witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And here, as mentioned, is this man named Saul. Saul was standing at the death of Stephen. He didn't throw the stones, but he held the jackets. And here Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. This Saul is the one who's later going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ himself on his way to Damascus. And there he's going to experience his own life being transformed by the power of Jesus. But here Saul is, is not known as the Apostle Paul yet. Simply Saul is a persecutor of the church. But it's this persecution that actually 
pushes the disciples out of Jerusalem. Later on in Acts, it's recorded for us that this persecution is actually what brought the witness out of Jerusalem. Check out Acts chapter 11. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Still going to the Jewish family, but its region is expanding. So if you look at a, a modern map today, uh, you're going to see that here's Jerusalem, and you're going to see Antioch at the top. But here's kind of the square that we're looking in right here. So you see Jerusalem down here and below. Judea would be just below Jerusalem. And Samaria is this region up here extending to Antioch. And Cyprus is this island. And so as they flee from Jerusalem, they both go north and south and go as far north as, as Antioch. This is about 300 plus miles away. Now, depending on how you would travel and how long roads would bend around certain mountain ranges or whatnot, think of it this way. If we were to leave Denver, Colorado, we might go all the way up to South Dakota or Lincoln, Nebraska, or all the way down to Albuquerque. That, that's as far as this persecution is pushing the witness out. Now, if, if you're in Jerusalem and you're thinking, gosh, don't send me to God-forsaken land, and you're sending all the way up to Samaria... This is the crux of the whole problem, is in Samaria is where the witness of the gospel is going out to even their enemies. And we'll pick that up in just a second. But you just need to see that the expansion of the gospel is now moving out of Jerusalem up north. And we're going to see actually Paul take the gospel all the way over to Rome, the known world, and perhaps even over to Spain. But this is the beginning of it moving out of Jerusalem. So back to chapter or chapter 8 in verse 4. So now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now what's important here is this word scattered. When we think of being scattered, we think of it being because of animosity, because of persecution, but the scattering is everyone's running for their life, that everyone's concerned about themselves, that maybe in this scattering, it feels a bit like God lost sight of us that God lost sight of what was supposed to be happening. But that's not what this word scattering is all about. I don't know about you, but there are certain times when I'm in ministry for the Lord or trying to do things for God, and when hardships comes into my life, I get frustrated, thinking, God, do you not see what I'm doing here? I'm trying to do what you've called me to do. I'm trying to be a witness, and why is there this opposition? Why is there this hardship? Why is there these difficulties? But the scattering, the difficulties are not simply because God has lost sight of us, but perhaps could be used missionally. I remember uh, leading, helping to lead some church camps in the summertime in, in Kansas. And there'd be all these students that would come out. We'd want to teach them the gospel. We want to teach them the principles of Jesus Christ. We want them to know what it is to be loved by God, to trust in God. And we'd have these evening gatherings and fun activities on the boats and the blobs and all sorts of things during the day. But some evenings, a storm would roll in. And if you've ever been in a storm in Kansas, I mean, it is filled with lightning and winds and possibly tornadoes. And I remember throughout the summer, these storms would roll in and they would just decimate camp. And the next day, the morning, we would spend cleaning up camp, putting things back together so that we could continue on with what we were doing. And sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, there were times when I thought, God, can you help us? 
I mean, you're the one that is in control of all these storms, is in control of, of all of these events. And don't you see what we're doing here? Why would you try to disrupt what we're doing? But what I found out later is that many of these storms were kind of like come to Jesus moments for people. As the storms rolled in and we spent the night in, the, in these shelters or in tents, that people really became to internalize this faith that, that we were talking about. That maybe what was most memorable from all these camps was actually the storms. Things that God was putting on display for us that wasn't part of our normal programming. And in this scattering, it's not on accident, I don't think. This scattering is not as though this is malicious from God. I think it's missional. That it's because of this suffering that they're going to move out of Jerusalem. And the scattering isn't pointless. The scattering isn't just sent out aimlessly. The scattering is actually a unique word here that refers to a farmer who's sowing. The Greek word is dispario. And this idea of being dispersed or scattered isn't aimless. It's purposeful. This asperio is to sow a seed. It's to sow in the ground a seed that would germinate and actually produce fruit. Now, if you remember from the very beginning, we said that Acts and the Gospel of Luke are kind of a two-part series written by Luke. And the first part was the Gospel of Luke in which Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus. And he said, here are the things that Jesus began to do. And I've recorded them so that you can have certainty of faith. And the book of Acts opens up kind of with that same introduction with Luke writing to Theophilus about the things that Jesus continued to do. And so we've given Acts this title of the works of Jesus or the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit by the disciples or apostles or followers of Jesus. So these are the acts that Jesus continues to do. But it's one author that brings the gospel and Acts, the historical account, together. And so if we're going to learn what this word disparia means of sowing, what do you think we should do? We should go back to Luke and see maybe how did he use it in the gospel of what Jesus was doing in the day of his parables and his teachings and his miracles. So if you go back to Luke chapter 8, we're going to find a familiar passage where Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And he's speaking about a sower who scatters seed. So here in Luke chapter 8, verse 4, it says, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path. And then he goes on to talk about some of the seed falling upon rocky soil and thorny soil and good soil. But he says that the seed is the word of God being sown into different regions and people being able to hear the word of God and receive the words of God. And for some of that seed, it actually takes root. It doesn't get choked out. It doesn't get scorched. It doesn't get stolen. And so that seed actually becomes fruit tenfold, a hundredfold bearing a crop. This is the same language that's being used here in Acts chapter 8, that the scattering, the sowing of seed outside of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria going to the ends of the earth. So let's go back to chapter 8, verse 4. So that is the scattering, the, the sowing. Now he talks about they went out preaching the word. Now, when we think of the word preaching, we're probably thinking of what I'm doing right now. 
of opening up the scriptures, heralding it in front of public audiences, talking about God's word. But actually, the word preaching here is the word evangelizo or evangelizo. In words where we get our word evangelize. This is the normal practice of sharing the gospel with all people in the church. This isn't the public heralding and proclamation of the gospel. This is those who belong to Jesus making spiritual things natural and natural things spiritual. This is, as some have said, the gossiping of the, go- of the gospel that just finds its way into our normal conversation. And so what we see here in Acts chapter eight is that the followers of Jesus, because suffering has come, have been scattered and sown into Judea and Samaria. And that seed is the preaching, the evangelizing of the words of God. So he says, the word. It doesn't say that they go and they just talk about the crazy things that happened to Jerusalem or about their favorite sports teams. No, they went out and they spoke about the word of what God had taught them through the apostles. Now, Philip specifically is actually preaching, as we think of preaching, because it says proclaim to them the Christ. So Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed. That word proclaimed speaks about heralding, making a proclamation, the preaching of Christ. So here even Philip doesn't show up in Samaria and start telling them, oh, can you believe what happened to Stephen? Can you believe what happened to us? Let me tell you these stories about us. He shows up. And there he proclaims, he preaches Christ. He preaches what Christ, Jesus, has accomplished in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. But his preaching isn't alone. It's actually accompanied by his works of deeds. And so it goes on in verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him, saw the signs that he did. Now these signs are signs that we've seen before with the apostles. These signs were to accompany the message that the apostles or the disciples or the followers of Christ were giving. And so check out verse, uh, verse seven. It says, for unclean spirits, like the demonic, are crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. We saw this as one of the very first miracles that a paralyzed beggar at the temple gates was healed by Peter. Likewise, the paralyzed are are healed here in Samaria, that the same ministry is now moving out even into Samaria, and they were healed. And there's much joy that's happening in the city. Now, I don't want you to be too caught up in the miraculous. I want you to see some other things that, that these are just good deeds, Now, Philip is able to do some of these things that maybe we can't, but they're still good deeds that are going to help create goodwill and produce a platform for good news to be shared. This is what we talk about at Calvary a lot with our community outreach of when we engage the world around us. We say that good deeds, it leads to goodwill, like you're building a relational equity with people. And with that goodwill, it creates the opportunity to share the good news about Christ about salvation, of what God has done. And so don't quite think of putting this in a box of saying the miraculous. Think about what the church has also done in Jerusalem. Remember people selling properties and and items that they owned and bringing those resources, those financial goods to the church to be dispersed and help those who are in need. 
Is that not also a sign of generosity and wonder of how the church loves and cares for one another? And so we too can have these sorts of good deeds that brings healing to others, that cares for the sick, that takes care of the widow and the orphan, that makes sure that those who are the immigrant, the sojourner, those who are well advanced in their, in their age are cared for. And all of those cares, those loves, are good deeds. And that leads to goodwill with people, which creates the opportunity for Philip and for us to share the good news. Now, let's check out back, back to Acts chapter 8. It says, in response to the word and what they saw, it says, they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. And so people are responding to the proclamation of the word and are saying, I, I want to believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that God raised him from the dead. And because they believed those things, salvation was given to them. This is exactly what Paul says. Paul says, how will they, how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless people are sent to proclaim the news? And so this is fulfilling what Jesus commissioned the disciples to do, to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, and proclaim both in word and deed the resurrection of Christ. And all those who believe upon Jesus Christ are saved. And the first act of obedience is to be baptized. John the Baptist, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and be baptized. Speaking of this water baptism, this symbol of, of washing away of your old life. To, to, to turn to Jesus means you have to turn away from your old life and turn into Christ. And so those in Samaria who are turning into Christ to show their allegiance to Jesus, they, they go through water baptism. But the Spirit hasn't fallen on them yet. And we talked about this all the way back in the early days of Acts, that the apostles are involved with the, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts. I think it's to show continually that there's one Spirit for all people who are going to be baptized into one body by the same Spirit. So news has traveled now from Samaria back to Jerusalem that the, even the Samaritans are receiving Christ. And so now Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest followers, the apostles now move from Jerusalem out to Samaria to go see if this is truly happening. And what do they find is believers who have believed in Christ have been baptized, but have yet to receive the Spirit. Now, this actually leads to one of the most amazing things in the early days of the gospel. Remember we, remember we asked this question, okay, how did the church, the body of Christ, the believers of Jesus, become the largest, most ethnically diverse group of people on the planet? We're going to see a little bit of that right here, what God does with John and with Peter. So they come out and they find it to be true. Verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence, is his sealing and anointing, his filling of all his children. Verse 16, for he had, sorry, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now John and Peter laid their hands on them and they received 
the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so amazing? It's because of this. The tension between Jews and Samaritans runs deep. I can't even overemphasize the hostility and animosity these two groups had. That when people would travel to Jerusalem and, and Samaria was in the way, they would go around and inconvenience themselves as not to touch the soil of Samaritans. The divide was so great, they hated each other. They actually, the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple. The Samaritans came into Jerusalem and, and, and caused all these problems at the temple, dispersing human bones inside the temple in Jerusalem. They hated each other. Even Jesus' disciples showed great animosity that was cultural for them towards the Samaritans. So let's go back to Luke just real quick. We're almost done this morning. In Luke chapter 9 shows one of these incidences that gives us a, a, a glimpse of these racial divides and the racism that's happening. It says, this is Jesus, and he sent messengers ahead of him as he's traveling to Jerusalem who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, that's Jesus, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. They hate him, and his disciples actually hate them. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, this is the same John who's in Samaria right now, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Here, John is saying, okay, because they would not create room for us to spend the night, Lord, do you want me to call down fire and kill them? And Jesus says, you don't get it. You still don't get what the kingdom's about. The kingdom is for all nations, all people. The reason that Abraham was blessed in the first place was to be a blessing to all nations, and he rebukes them. Now this John, who has hated the Samaritans and wanted to call down fire to kill them, has now experienced the reconciliation that Jesus has bought for him. He's been reconciled back to God. And all those who have been reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ, Paul tells us, are given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And here that same apostle is now in Samaria for those who have received Jesus. And he gets to call down, he gets to participate in not fire coming to kill, but the fire of the Spirit coming to cause life that now they're being brought into the family of God together. What we're seeing is racial reconciliation happening because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing. This is the beginning of how all peoples and all nations find a home in the body of Christ, baptized in one spirit, in Christ together. There's no division, only unity. So there's a few things I just want you to have in your mind as you think about this episode. Well, I want you to think about these four S words. That in the midst of suffering, there was a scattering, which is, we saw as a sowing. And in this sowing, there was a sharing that happened. They didn't just run and not talk about their events. They ran and they shared the gospel and it resulted in salvation and reconciliation into the family of God. Now, how, how does that apply to us today? It applies this way, is that we're experiencing hardships. We're not, we're not being persecuted and forced out of these gatherings at local churches into our homes, but that we have been scattered into our homes. And this scattering should not be seen as malicious from God, but 
perhaps missional. That we can actually see suffering as missional, not as meaningless. And so these days, I keep telling people that God will use these days to accomplish his purposes if we would take the same attitude as the early believers, knowing that these days create a unique platform for us to have good deeds amongst our community, that would create goodwill with people that we live next to, work with, and that that goodwill will create a platform for the good news to be shared, and that many would come to know Christ in these days that perhaps would never have come to church, perhaps would never have been interested unless these sufferings have come upon us. And so Christian, as, as you return to life this afternoon, as you return to work and school Monday morning, may we live distinctly Christian lives, knowing that these days marked with our own hardships and sufferings can actually produce a sowing of God's word into our neighbors' and friends' lives that could bring them to faith and continue to reconcile all people in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us pray that that would be our commissioning. Father, I pray that we would be Acts Christians, that as we are scattered in our home this morning, that it would be not the time to just hunker in our bunker, but that we would reach out and connect with people with some of the technologies, with our phone calls and texts, checking on neighbors, family members, coworkers, bosses. May we have the opportunity to love one another in these days. Would that good deeds produce goodwill for us to share the good news, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Lord, I pray that you would use us to make your appeal to the world and reconcile all people in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.